Welcome back, my spooky friends. This is Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie. Uh, today, I'm going to be a little all over the place, but what else is new? Um, I want to tell you guys about this really cool story that my granny told me. And it actually, I googled it, and there's actually like background into this, so it's pretty cool. Um, so let's get started and see how far we get today. All right. All right, so let's get started. <clears throat> so I was talking to my granny, and of course, you know, I'm bringing up all this spooky stuff and asking her what she knows about some of it. And, you know, obviously she told me the story I told you guys in the last episode about her mother's daddy. Um, but she also told us about how all the grown-ups would tell them um, not to go near the well that they got water from, uh, not to play around it, or bloody bones would get them. And we're thinking, bloody bones? Okay, that's that's weird. But a lot of times, uh, people and folklore got passed down to keep uh, the children safe. Like, so they made them afraid of certain things so they wouldn't, you know, play in the well and fall in or, you know, get hurt and stuff like that. So... It's kind of cool. I was perusing just a couple of topics on Google recently, and I was like, what the heck? Let's uh, let's try Bloody Bones, see if there's any backstory to it. And there actually is, um, which is really cool. So I'm getting this from deepsouthmag.com. Um, and then I'm just going to read this to you guys um, because it's kind of cool. All right. The weather in the American South may not always turn chill in October, but it's still a region that is full of restless spirits as the world, as the rest of the world that celebrates Halloween. In fact, the southern night shivers with haunts, more than a few born directly out of the region's peculiar and sometimes frightening history. Some of the most well-known regional ghost stories are frequently connected to Gula or Geechee culture in the Sea Islands and Low Country of the Carolinas and Georgia. One of the most popular of these tell of two terrifying creatures, sometimes imagined as part of the same monster. One is a skull stripped of its skin and the and liable to bite called Rawhead. And the other is equally terrifying companion, a kind of dancing headless skeleton called Bloody Bones. Occasionally, the story of Rawhead and Blood Bones, Bloody Bones appears with a moral, at least of sorts. In one version of the tale, a gossip loses their head to the monster as punishment for their wicked tongue. Other versions connect Rawhead and Bloody Bones to the Gula tradition of the Hanked, a general term for any kind of restless spirit that prowls at night and comes looking for bad children. If you're familiar with Southern folklore, you know that many of the region's stories draw from African tales retold by enslaved people to whites over the 250 years before the Civil War. Rawhead and Bloody Bones may be an example of a legend that worked in the opposite direction, passed on by whites to their African slaves. The story seems to have been common in England, at least in... 
at least as early as the 1500s. One of the first mentions of the horrifying pair appears in a sermon in 1566, in which an Anglican minister warns that hell and the devil need to be taken as seriously as grandmother's tale of bloody bones, rawhead, and werewolves. No word on whether this parishioners, on whether his parishioners went away more impressed with Satan than grandmother's worrisome stories. At least one nursery rhyme about this nighttime terror comes from New Yorkshire and shows that this story served up to served up scares to children for centuries. Raw head and bloody bones steals naughty children from their homes, take them to this dirty to his dirty den, and they are never seen again. If you find this a bit chilling, you're not alone. These stories spread throughout the region and show up in scary bedtime stories as far as the Ozarks. Famed horror director Clive Barker even wrote the screenplay for a film based on the story called Rawhead Rex in 1986. One curious phenomenon that does seem traceable to Africa has strangely migrated to the world of southern agricultural design. The painting of porch ceilings, Haint Blue, comes from the Congo people of West Central Africa, and the belief that cerulean blue wards off the evil eye of a sorcerer. African American vernacular architecture in the South retained this practice, especially in the early 20th century, by painting window frames, door frames, and porches in a various shades of blue. Some whites painted their porches haint blue in Charleston and Savannah, though it may actually be more common today than in earlier times. Paint companies now produce versions of haint blue and magazines dedicated to southern hot aesthetics have recommended its use as a nod to low country tradition. Unfortunately, the use of modern paint may be missing out on the real benefits of haint blue. The original recipe called for a combination of indigo and lime, making it an excellent repellent for insects, the real southern creepy crawlies. We should take our monsters more seriously though. Scary stories may seem like only the stuff of nursery rhymes and folk tales, but the monsters of the South, like all the monsters of America, are hardwired into our history. In a region shaped by slavery, the stories we have told ourselves have been correspondingly dark, tinged with the light of people who kept their cultures alive in a world they made unwillingly together. Ooh, that was a good story. So I find this fascinating because my granny is from South Georgia. Um, so it makes sense that her parents would have told her, you know, don't go playing with the, you know, don't go play around the well or bloody bones will get you. Because Bloody Bones was supposed to be a story that, you know, the older people would tell the younger people to keep them safe and everything. And that's kind of corresponded here. So really cool. Really, really cool. Um, we'll take a short break and be right back at it after this. All right, let's jump into a couple of cliff notes about some of our southern... Uh, ghost stories uh, from all around the South. All right, this comes to us from Southern Living. 
The most notorious legends of the South's spookiest specters, believe them or not, there's something about the chilly October air that makes the Halloween season a perfect time to share ghost stories. The South's bizarre history, obscure happenings, and inexplicable circumstances provide the perfect setting for these scary stories. We've compiled some of the scariest Southern ghost stories that we could find in folklore and research. These may be real ghost stories, and they might just be scary legends of the South. While the legend of Hugging Molly in Abeville, Alabama is a kid-friendly ghost story, the ghosts of La Lurie Mansion in New Orleans, the Louisiana, are some of the scariest souls in the South. There are plenty of famous Southern ghosts. The Florida, the Bell Witch, whose legend in part inspired the Blair Witch Project, still haunts northwestern Tennessee. Florida's ghost of Bellamy Bridge still roams the swamps, searching for unrequited love. Read about the ghosts that linger in the infamous South. Southern folklore, scary folktales, and ghost stories. Just be warned, these ghosts may haunt near you. All right. The first one is, of course, the Bell Witch in Adams, Tennessee, that we've mentioned in several episodes. Um, so we'll move on to the next one. The Ghost of Lavinia Fisher in Charleston, Tennessee. Many myths surround the legend of Lavinia Fisher, a 19th century Charleston woman convicted of, for highway robbery and hung just off Meeting Street. Some claim she was America's first serial killer, based on speculation that she and her husband would lure travelers to their inn, slip poison in their tea, and steal their belongings, and carry their bodies out back. However, her and her husband actually belonged to a band of highway thieves, and was never accused of serial murder. Still, the details surrounding her death are chilling. Believing they, that she would be pardoned up until the moment she was hung, Lavinia, according to legend, used her last breath to scream, If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. Her ghost still haunts the old Charleston jailhouse, and tourists claim sightings of her ghostly apparition. Freaky. All right. If anybody's watched American Horror Story, uh, I think season three with Coven, then you've heard of the ghosts of La Lurie Mansion, New Orleans, Louisiana. To this day, Delphine La Lurie, extravagant Creole mansion in New Orleans French Quarter, is the city's most legendary haunted house due to the gruesome torture that occurred over 200 years ago. Dr. Louis La Lurie and his wife Delphine were once known to be one of Creole society's most influential high society couple. However, Delphine soon gained a reputation for being brutally cruel to her servers, and neighbors began noticing the unexplained disappearance of parlor maids and stable boys. One night, after a fire broke out in the kitchen, firefighters discovered a chilling secret room full of tortured servants. Word spread throughout New Orleans, and angry citizens formed a mob dead set on avenging the tortured humans. The Lolerie managed to escape to France, and haunted souls began to seeking revenge on the building's occupants immediately. Uh, 
The house fell to ruin. No one wants to live in a house haunted by so many tortured souls. All right. This one is Hugging Molly from Aville, Alabama. While this story may not make you shudder, you still you should still be glad you didn't grow up around this variety of ghost. If you're familiar with Abville or Abville, Alabama, you probably heard of Hugging Molly after all. Her name is written on the town's welcome sign. The legend of Hugging Molly traces all the way back to Ireland, but today she roams the streets of Abville. Wearing a long shroud, Hugging Molly appears only to young people out past curfew. She runs up to these rule breakers, gives them a giant hug, and screams in their ear. For over a hundred years, parents have been relying on her leg on her legend to teach kids not to stay out after dark. The Ghost of Bellamy, Bellamy Bridge, Mariana, Florida. There are many different versions of the story. Nonetheless, the Bellamy Bridge ghost just might be Florida's most infamous ghastly legend. Bellamy Bridge is an old steel frame bridge that spans the Chipola River, just north of Mariana. On a dark and foggy night, Elizabeth Jane Bellamy is said to roam the swamps surrounding the bridge, mourning the loss of love cut short. Elizabeth was only 18 when she died after marrying her husband, local politician and planter Samuel C. Bellamy. In one version, her extravagant wedding gown caught fire the night of her wedding. In another, she contracted malaria. After her death, her husband was so stricken with grief, he eventually committed suicide. Visitors to the Bellamy Bridge claimed to have seen fire extending from the bridge, mysterious white lights, and even the ghostly figure of a young woman walking through the fog. Creepy. The Red Lady of Huntington, Montgomery, Alabama. In the early 20th century, a young woman named Martha started college at Women's College of Alabama, complying with her fa father's wishes. Martha's favorite color was red, and she decorated every surface of her dorm room in Pratt Hall in the crimson shade. Because she didn't make friends easily, Martha lived alone on campus, and she was very unhappy. She retreated to her room, living in isolation, and only left her bed in the middle of the night. One evening, after failing to attend classes and dinner, Martha was found lying on the floor in her room, dead. To this day, generations of Huntington, Huntingdon students have claimed to have witnessed Martha's ghost, the Red Lady, roaming around the halls at night, emitting a strange red glow. Right... The Myrtles Chloe, St. Francisville, Louisiana. One of the legendary many spirits haunting the Myrtles plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana, the ghost of Chloe, may be the most notorious. According to legend, Clark Woodruff, owner of the estate, was having an affair with Chloe, a house servant. Eventually, Woodruff, tired of Chloe, and Chloe fearing he, she would be sent back to the fields to work, began eavesdropping on family conversations to see if they spoke of her. Woodruff caught her and cut off her ear as punishment. 
To hide the scar, she always wore a green scarf. Now nobody knows if Chloe did what she actually did next to get back at the fam- in the family's good graces or as revenge. She slowly poisoned a birthday cake. And Woodruff's wife and two children died. The other servants, ashamed at Chloe's evil acts, hung her in a nearby tree. While this legend may be pure folklore, a mysterious photograph of a woman figure lurking in a shaded corner taking in 1992 has perpetuated Chloe's myth. Number 8. Dolly Madison Dolly Madison, wife of 4th President of the United States, James Madison, is one of our country's most beloved first ladies. Known for turning the D.C. swamps into a social hub, Dolly endeared everyone with her wit and charm, but she didn't like to be tested. During her time living at the White House, Dolly built a beautiful rose garden. Years later, when Miss Woodrow Wilson accompanied the White er, occupied the White House, she requested the rose garden be replaced. Legend has it that the moment the workers turn their spades, Dolly's, <laughs> Dolly's ghosts arrive and chase them all away. Now that sounds like a realistic story about a southern woman. That wasn't my comment, that was theirs. <laughs> Alright, number nine. The ghost of Julia Laguerre, Edisto Island, South Carolina. These words... Legend has it that in the mid-1800s, young Julia Laguerre was visiting Edisto Island. She fell ill with something, it starts with a D, and fell into a deep coma. After being pronounced dead, she was buried in her family's crypt. When her brother passed away 15 years later, her family opened the crypt and found her body pressed against the door, trying to escape. Thought for dead, she had been alive all along. Throughout the years, the crypt's, the crypt's doors would randomly fall open. Eventually, even the chained stone would not remain hinged, and the family members gave up and removed the door entirely. Some locals swear that the scratches on the inside of the crypt were made by Julia, desperately trying to es- escape from being buried alive. All right, the last one from this article, The Ghost of Wright Square in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah has no shortage of ghost stories, and the tale of the Wright Square ghost may be the creepiest we've heard. The spooky story begins in 1724, after a man was found lying strangled on his bed. Although the deceased man, William Wise, was known to be slightly shady, his death still caused quite a stir in the community. Investigators convinced, convicted two of his servants, Alice Riley and Richard White. Although the two attempted to flee, they were eventually caught and sentenced to death. Alice's execution was delayed until after she gave birth to her son, James. Although Alice adamantly proclaimed innocence, eight months later she faced Wright Square's gallows. A short time later, her son died. Legend has it that she haunts pregnant women and mothers with infants searching for her lost baby next time you're in savannah notice the shortage of spanish moss in Wright square according to folklore spanish moss will not grow where innocent blood has been spilled 
Ooh, snap. That's cool. I didn't, I've never heard that about Spanish moss, so that's pretty neat. Uh, we'll take a short break and get right back into it. All right, welcome back. The most terrifying story to ever come out of Georgia is truly chilling. We get this from only in your state. Georgia is a beautiful state in which we are constantly amazed and in awe. Most people lend Georgia fame to their delicious agriculture and southern hospitality. But there is something else Georgia is known for. Something many people don't normally talk about. And that's ghosts. Georgia is peppered with hauntings and ghost stories throughout the state. It's hard to keep track. Just visiting Savannah alone will lend up quite a few different stories and sightings. However, there is one story in particular, a terrifying tale, unfortunately, that is not just fable. This true story right out of our beloved Georgia is likely to frighten the best of them. This is the true tale of the Serency haunting. The setting is in Serency, Georgia, and the story involves the family for whom the town is named. Dating back to the 1800s, before the town was a town, there was a family who lived on a farm on the outskirts of the area. This family was the Serencies, and overall they were a very normal family. They loved their home, they loved their farm, and most of all they loved each other. Until things took a turn. Pretty much out of the blue, random things began happening around the house. Windows slamming shut and flying open right in front of them. Doors slamming violently without warning or action. But these paranormal brushings seemed light in comparison with what was to come. Things quickly grew worse as objects constantly flew off the shelves. Their old clock would only strike 13 with the hands wildly spinning around. Every meal the Serencies ate at their table would end up in their laps, thrown across the room at the walls or the floor. Their utensils weren't even safe, bending and twisting by an almost unknown force while in their hands. The worst of it came at night, when the Serencies would see pairs of evil, beady red eyes all around their property, as if they were being watched each and every time the sun went down. The family grew weary, losing sleep, and no longer eating because of the ominous, continuous violence and torment. Many thought the story, after reported to authorities and locals in the area, was exaggerated. That was, of course, until hundreds of people from all over the world came to the house to experience it for themselves. The house quickly became almost a tourist attraction, attracting scientists, researchers, spiritualists, mediums, and religious officials. They each had their theories on how the house came to be possessed. One included the idea of Mr. Serency worshipped the devil. Another suggested that the Serency family were strongly psychic and ghosts were simply trying to receive help. Since the family couldn't help, however, as they didn't know how, the ghost just became more and more enraged. Eventually, the ghosts became more violent, 
specifically targeting the youngest girl in the house. They would take her blankets in the middle of the night, lift her out of bed when she was sleeping, painfully pull her hair at random times, and flip her bed over sideways. The Serency family decided enough was enough, and they would leave their beloved farm. However, the ghosts had different plans on that fateful day. The day their decision was made to move, a fireplace poker was lifted out of its resting place, floated down the hallway, and struck one of the boys on the head repeatedly. The youngest brother helplessly watched as the poker retreated back to his original place without a peep, leaving the other boy bleeding on the floor. Soon after that incident, the Cernsey family moved, and although they still experienced hauntings after they left, it was never as bad or as violent as it was on the farm. As for the ghost, the haunted ghost vortex they called home, it ended up burning down in 1925 after being abandoned for many years. Which is probably for the best, as nobody would want to risk another family being tormented by the spirits of this, these the ghosts. All right, welcome back. Georgia's always been fascinating to me. It's where our family is from. Um, we kind of moved away to Kentucky for most of my growing up. Um, but Georgia will always be like where our history is, where our family's from, stuff like that. Um, so I'm just going to start reading you a bunch of stuff from Georgia. I might pepper in some some of the other southern states, but... Georgia superstitions and Georgia ghosts are pretty fascinating. All right. This one is the ghost of Alatoona Pass in Bartlow County, Georgia. One of Georgia's most intriguing ghost stories involves trains that passed along the Western and Atlantic Railroad during the years after the Civil War. As their steam-powered trains came and went through Tilton, a crossing near Dalton and Alatoona Pass, employees of the W&A often noticed a mysterious figure riding along atop the cars. There's a article from the Atlanta Journal from December 1872 that says, For some months, railroaders, conductors, engineers, and brakemen have been noticing between Tilton and Adaluna, Alatoona that when their respective freight trains would enter onto that portion of track named that their number would be reinforced by an extra train hand, who, of course, the officers of the W&A Railroad cannot persuade to sign the death warrant. In other words, the railroad employees found themselves dealing with a ghost, and not just on an occasional basis. The appearance of the specter was a bit unnerving, but the railroad men of that day had just come through the Civil War and had seen horrors on the battlefield that reduced the impact of a mere shadow figure. In fact, so unconcerned were they about this ghostly visitor that from time to time they even tried to collect a fare from him. The individual appears suddenly on top of the freight cars, takes a seat, and remains there for many miles 
Then the unknown brakesman disappears. Conductors seeing him have often gone out to collect his fare, but on nearing him, he would vanish like mist. The ghost often appears as northbound trains leave deep cut in Alatuna, or disappeared as southbound trains reach that point. This prompted some to wonder whether he was the spirit of a soldier killed in the Battle of Alatuna Pass, perhaps one who had worked on the radio before the war, or the railroad before the war. This bewilderment over the identity of the ghost finally led a bold engineer to try to obtain an answer to the question in person. Again, the Atlanta Journal, 1872. One night, an engineer on a freight train plainly saw the ghostly brakesman seated on top of the third car from his engine. He determined to settle the vexed question as to who he was and accordingly left his engine in charge of the fireman and proceeded at once towards the mysterious object. The 19th century ghost hunt produced results, but not those hoped for by the brave engineer. The engineer approached cautiously with both eyes fixed on the form of the man, but as he neared his ghost ship, he gradually faded from view, leaving the engineer completely bewildered but who still tried to unravel his disappearance by passing over the entire train and looking at every place which was capable of concealing a man, but nowhere was the man visible. The ghost, however, was not done with the trainman. The engineer turned around in despair, and as he cast his eye towards the engine, which was swift in speed, there sat the object of his search, unterrified and full of life on the same identical spot where he first discovered him. Now even more determined, the engineer walked back down the top of the train. Once again, however, the ghost disappeared as he approached. The engineer passed on to his engine, and on looking back there, sat perched upon the boxcar, the same unknown being, where he remained until the train had let many miles in the distance and his ghost ship disappeared and returned probably to the, reenact the same passing train, the same scenes. The ghost continued to appear for many years, and stories about him were widely told along the route of the WNA. Newspapers across the South picked up articles from area papers about the ghost, and he created considerable, spec considerable speculation across the region. Trains still run along the old W&A route, and although the tracks have been long since been rerouted from the Alatuna Pass itself, the deep cut where the trains once passed through the Alatuna Mountains Ridge is now part of Alatuna Pass Battlefield, which is open to the public. The sound of the trains can be heard as they pass nearby. Whether the ghostly rider still sits atop the cars, no one can say. Alright, so that was a cool one. Um, it might just be a recurring uh, ghost, if you will. Like an energy trapped, kind of replaying the energy over and over again. Um, it makes sense, uh, even if it were just an energy, uh, that it would disappear. 
you know that's why nobody like or very few have like documented the paranormal truly um so that's probably why the ghost kept disappearing and reappearing he was just reliving his nightly ride on top of the train over and over again and no one was gonna interrupt that it's like getting to see behind the veil or something and every time somebody got close to it i guess it was like oh whoops the veil's open <laughs> probably that's probably not possible but maybe all right we'll take a short break and then get into another story All right, there is an Airbnb <laughs> um, that, you know, it got thrown up to the founder about this complaint. So let me read this article from the New York Post uh, by Hannah Frischberg. It's called Airbnb Ghosts Not as Friendly as Advertised. Guests complain. This lodging should be called Scare BMB. Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky has opened up about the weirdest complaint a user has ever made, and it involves a debatingly friendly ghost named Stanley. One day, a customer calls us and says they want a full refund, Chesky said last week at the New York Times Dealbook conference. We say, why do you want a full refund? They say, because this house is haunted and there's a ghost in the house. Chesky's team needs to verify the claim and ring the host, assuming they would deny that their property was haunted and lacking any supernatural photographic evidence. It would be a case closed. Well, unfortunately, the host confirms that the ghost says that it's a friendly ghost named Stanley and that the ghost Stanley is in the listing description. We read the listing, Stanley is mentioned. When Airbnb pointed this out to the spooked guests, they clarified that their issue was not with Stanley's presence, but that he was not friendly. Yes, we knew about Stanley, that's why we booked it, Chesky says the guest retorted, but Stanley has been harassing us all night. Chesky was at a loss. How do you educate that? There's no playbook for this stuff. Stanley, the ghost of questionable amicability, tops Chesky's list of strange air boo and B issues, but he says the company gets millions of customer calls daily, and many are bizarre. Once Chesky booked a woman's home that had a parrot living in the listing, I thought that was really cool until I got to the listing and realized it was a studio apartment and she would be in the space with me, with the parrot, and that she slept on the couch and I slept in the bed, and the parrot joined me in the bed, he says. While it hadn't been what he was looking for, he accepted his fate. It wasn't really wanted, but you know, I didn't fight it. So that's cool. It's like a, from the CEO telling us about <laughs> the ghosts and stuff like that. Um, there's several Airbnbs, uh, that just have, like, one-liner complaints. Um, the Haunted House in Ontario, Canada. 
Airbnb writes, guess where they have seen the apparition of a man in a suit standing in front of a mirror and a figure of an angry woman wearing a dark blouse and skirt. The Cisco Post, closed in the 1990s, has been renovated into a tiny guest house without running water. It offers an authentic ghost town experience and boasts a fire pit, AC, Wi-Fi, and scenic views. In Oberlin, Ohio, guests at $145 a night, Inspiration House, have commented that they can hear someone slowly pacing the upper level in heavy work boots and scratching on the hardwood. The host herself is a psychic and a cult researcher. The Confederate soldier is suspected of haunting the Gettysburg Historic Lookout House in Aspers, PA. Guests have reported seeing a man in uniform, arms crossed, standing in a corner, but adds that his and other spirits that haunt the house are friendly. In northern Germany's Rissau Manor Retreat, the home's foundation is 1,200 years old, and guests believe the ghosts of Slavic gods continue to haunt the space. Upstate New York, in Enslin Mansion, is haunted from its basement to its attic, according to the host. The lively spirits are tricksters. Be sure to keep your, eye, your keys close, as they have reportedly loved to hide them. In the early 1900s, a woman named Rosalia Finn died of typhoid fever at Manor Master Chamber. <laughs> Manor Master Chamber in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, her spirit reportedly never left the grounds. And last but not least, Wake Forest, North Carolina's Stroud House is rented by its original owner, great-grandson, among other haunted happenings, a music box reportedly turns itself on and plays nursery rhyme songs, and dime-sized orbs sometimes float in the dining room. Guests continue to shell out the money for the space despite the spook factor. Alright. Shows us there's, you know, more than one. There's more than one. Haunting. Alright. And we'll take a short break. Alright. Welcome back. This episode is kind of about the southern uh, stories that are passed on and everything. This one's actually a news article um, called... Haunting in Harris County, the Heidi Warwick story. Harris County, Georgia, 2008. WTVM reported that this story. Heidi Warwick's roller coaster experience with the paranormal world started when she was just three years old. She rem vividly remembers her times with Mr. Gordy the first spirit she ever connected with. The old man appeared in her backyard with her, in the backyard of the family's Ellerslie home from time to time, and at Heidi's young age, she had no clue he wasn't real. 
I saw him up until I was eight years old on an everyday basis. He would sit, have conversations with me, and then he would take me by the hand and we would go swing. I would see her out in the backyard and see her hand raised holding someone's hand. Many times I would hear her talking, but never heard anybody talk back, said Lisa Wyrick, Heidi's mother. As she grew older, spirits started coming to Heidi in different forms. Humans, animals, and sometimes figures she couldn't even explain. I can sense when it's an evil presence, or if it's a good presence. If I can sense evil, you wouldn't believe the feelings that you get. I've literally been sick to my stomach, says Wyrick. When the bad spirit started coming into play, it got... She would always describe him as a dark figure having no features just like a silhouette. As a parent, you know how to deal with it because you don't know how to you don't know how to deal with it because you don't know how to protect her. If it was something real, you would know what to do, said Wyrick's mother. The media soon picked up Heidi's story and shined a global spotlight on her and her family. After a Discovery Channel documentary, a book detailing her early years and appearances at paranormal conferences around the world, Many people have connected with Heidi and her struggles. It means so much to me to help people out there who are going through the same thing as me, said Wyrick. Some out there, through, though, remain skeptics and openly criticize the Wyrick family. Hateful comments about Heidi fill internet message boards on many paranormal websites, showing just how polarizing a figure she can be. You'll... You'll have people believe you 100%, and then some people think you're crazy. There's no in-between, says Wyrick. Even with all the media attention, Heidi has tried to lead as normal life as possible, eventually getting married to her husband Aaron and starting a career in the medical field. Now 22 years old, Heidi is slowly learning how to deal with her unusual gift. Most of the time, I've learned to keep a lot of it to myself, and I really don't even notice it. You get used to seeing things after a while, says Wyrick. Only the people closest to her really know when something is going on inside her head. Heidi has since moved from her house in Harris County, but still continues to see visions all over her new home in Columbus. Even with all the amazing yet scary things Heidi has experienced, her special gifts do come with a price. Not a day goes by when Heidi doesn't wish her life could be normal. Every day, every day, I wish these things wouldn't have happened because my life would be so much different. I wouldn't be known for something like this, says Wyrick. Okay. You know, sounds like she's clearly, you know, clairvoyant. Um, yeah, and it sounds like it hasn't helped her any uh, with all the attention. So It's still pretty cool. I know people um, that have shared stories similar to this with me. Um, so, yeah, I fully believe that she probably did see Mr. Gordy and hold his hand and all that kind of stuff. But still scary. All right, we'll be back right after this. Our next story is called Real Life Ghost Stories from Southwest Georgia. It comes to us from the albanyherald.com. Many of us have experienced 
have experiences we just can't explain. Things that make us wonder whether a supernatural realm, a place simultaneously distant and near, physical and ethereal, exists. And if it does, did we for an instant brush against it? It's the creepy, creaky sounds of the night, more prominent and disturbing the stillness. The catching of a glimpse of something in the corner of your eye, the chill on your neck when you just seem to sense that something, somebody, is right there. We always think, was it real? Was it imagined? Was it the product of an overactive imagination? Was it caused by your brain waking itself up, still caught in that region between asleep and awake? Or was it an otherworldly spirit trying to make contact? For the past few weeks, we asked readers of the Albany Herald and the AlbanyHerald.com to share their own ghost stories. Scott Hall and Jane McDonald told us about their respective experiences with the unexplained. So get by a reading lamp and dim the rest of the lights and listen to a couple of spooky tales in their own words. If you're brave enough, trying doing it alone just don't be surprised if something somebody is unexpectedly reading over your shoulder all right this one's called the old woman in the kitchen from scott hall i don't believe in ghosts which makes me wonder now years later if it really happened or if it was just a dream i was young i don't think i could even read yet but it was very late one night and I had awoken from sleep, and I just laid there listening to the calm and the silence. I thought that it might be a good idea to go down to the kitchen and thumb through a book that I knew was left lying by the table. My mother had brought Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendakholm, and my brothers and I had looked through it many times. We had a fluorescent light that burned constantly in the kitchen, and as I crept ever so quietly down the hall, I spotted the book, just where we had left it. In the dead of night, all by myself, I climbed onto the bar and began turning the pages. I'm not sure how much time passed. A single light created many shadows in the room, and I had not seen nor heard anyone else stirring. To the left, I caught movement out of the corner of my eye. I slow turned slowly to see an apparition just seemed to appear materialize enter from the darkness out of the hallway it came across the living room and around the very bar which i sat paralyzed i can only describe it as an old woman with no details in her face what i do recall is the pale blue and red hair curlers that covered her head and a faded blue and white robe that she wore i didn't want to see where she went after she passed I slid off the bar, down the hall, and went back to my bed. I only ever told my brother about the incident, and it sort of became an urban legend, as he and I both would make up stories about the ghost woman with curlers in her hair being spotted in various rooms in the house. Now, many years later, I think it must have been a dream, but even now, when I see the book Where the Wild Things Are, I get a very real chill down my spine. The Scraping Bedroom Door by Jane McDonald.
1987, I was a carefree single teacher living at Westwood Apartments here in Albany. My good friend and fellow teacher, Marsha, was my roommate. One night, I went to bed as usual, said my prayers, and settled into my favorite sleeping position. I always spread out in the middle of my bed on my stomach, with my face turned to the left facing the wall. It was not long before I was deep asleep. At some point in the night, I woke up, still in this position. It was at that moment I heard my bedroom door scrape across the carpet as it opened. I froze, but could feel all my senses go on higher alert. Someone stepped in, and in a sing-song male voice said, Oh, Jane. Oh, educator. Oh, Jane. All I could do was stay perfectly still while I looked at the wall. I was terrified, and my heart was pounding like a jackhammer. It only took a few steps to reach my bed, so in seconds, I feel the edge of my bed sink as someone sat down. I closed my eyes as I felt this intruder lean over me and place his left arm on the other side of my body to brace themselves as, as he looked at my face. With this movement, I felt his body pressed against my right hip. I did not move and tried to control my breathing while I tried to figure out what to do. I ended up telling myself it was stupid for me to lie in my bed with some stranger sitting there. So I mentally counted to three. When I hit three, I rose up and flipped around with all the fury I could muster and looked at it. Nothing. I turned on my lamp. Nothing. There was no one there. My bedroom door was still closed, just as I had left it. For hours, I sat awake in my bed with the lamp on until I saw the first morning light through my window. Just as when I was a child, I was finally safe enough to sleep. When I got up, I told Marsha all about my strange experience. Then I tried to file it away under one of these headings. It was a dream. It was your imagination or you're crazy, and went on with my day. That night, we went down to our friend's apartment to watch a movie. Before the movie started, one of the girls wanted to tell us what had happened to her early that morning. She had been asleep, and she felt someone lean down over her with their arms pushing down on the bed, but when she opened her eyes, no one was there. I felt my eyes get big, and I looked at Marcia, whose eyes were equally big. Then I shared my own experience. That night, two scaredy cats named Jane and Marcia slept in the living room with lights and TV on all night. <laughs> that was a good story. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't like a, <laughs> you know, a, a cuddle bug ghost. <laughs> I don't think that sounds appealing to many people. Uh, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's super weird. I don't know. Her and her roommate both had that experience. Makes me think it's not just a recording kind of thing. Weird. Alright, welcome back. This is 15 Eerie Ghost Stories and Urban Legends from Southern Georgia. I said in southern Georgia, and my first story says in north, northern Georgia. 
All right. So let's jump right into the first story. In northern Georgia sits Lake Lanier, a massive human-made lake with a dark history. In order to get it to the depth they wanted, the U.S. government bought or forced out over 250 families, 15 businesses, and 20 cemeteries so they could fill over 50,000 acres of prime farmland with water. At the bottom of Lake Lanier are entire intact ghost towns left as they were when the government flooded them. The lake is famous for deaths and accidents ranging from boating accidents and drownings to cars careening off the road and into the lake for no apparent reason. Survivors of various accidents have reported feelings as if an invisible hand were dragging them deep beneath the water. In 2011 alone, there were nearly 20 mysterious deaths. The Weinkauf Hotel houses the ghosts of 119 victims of a terrible fire. In 1946, a fire in the Weinkauf Hotel took 119 lives. This is the largest hotel fire in U.S. history. Much like the Titanic, the Weinkauf was thought to be fireproof, and so its builders didn't bother installing fire doors or fire escapes, sprinklers, or an alarm system. <laughs> Wow, they were striking out on all sides. During the fire, the fire department lacked nets and ladders able to deal with the building of that height. Some people were so terrified and desperate to escape from the doomed upper floors that they leapt out of the windows directly into inadequate nets. Today, the hotel still stands in Atlanta under the name The Ellis Hotel. Employees and guests report seeing ghosts and smelling smoke. Let's see. At Fort Mountain, a man took a photo so terrifying that the shock killed him. According to legend, a young man once visited Fort Mountain with his friend and asked the other man to take a picture of him. The friend took the picture and immediately screamed and fainted, only to die in the hospital of a heart attack two days later. A picture he had taken showed the figure of a ghostly woman hovering next to his friend. A weeping child ghost can be heard at Crybaby Bridge. There are numerous versions of the story of Crybaby Bridge. In some, a child accidentally drowned in the creek below the bridge. In others, one of the child's parents murdered him. Regardless, if you drive, if you drive to Crybaby Bridge in Columbus, Georgia, you will still hear the child crying. An evangelist preacher called down a tornado as a curse on his town. In Augusta, Georgia, a pillar once stood in the middle of one of the town's markets. He was an evangelist. Wanted, when an evangelist wanted to preach beside it and was denied by authorities, he put a curse on the town. He said that everything in the town would be blown away except for the pillar. A tornado then tore through the market and destroyed everything, leaving the pillar untouched. Accounts dating as recently as the 1950s show that anyone who tries to move the pillar meets an unfortunate fate. Visitors to the creepy house will be accosted or even possessed by a ghostly old man. 
A private residence in Roswell, Georgia, known as the Creepy House, has been highly trafficked by paranormal investigators. It is believed that the horrific child abuse occurred in the house and that the body of a young girl is even buried in the basement. The spirit of an angry old man is known to yell at anyone who comes onto the property and has reportedly even tried to possess people. At Old Lawrenceville Jail, a murdered slave sings a ghostly song. In 1840, a slave owner tried to attack a slave named Ellick, but ended up falling and impaling himself on the sword he had drawn. The man died, and Ellick was falsely accused of his murder and sentenced to hang for it. He was chained up in La Lawrenceville Jail in Lawrenceville, Georgia, prior to his hanging. It's said that you can still feel Ellick's presence and hear his sad song in the prison. The Waterheads of Smyrna, Georgia want candy bars. This covered bridge in Smyrna, Georgia is supposed, supposedly the home of countless waterheads or children who have died at the creek beneath the bridge. According to legend, if you park your car on the bridge, turn it off, and place a Snickers bar on top, the ghost child will scramble on top of your car to try to get the candy bar. Man, you guys keep messing with these <laughs> little children ghosts that you think are children. It's just, I don't know. Y'all putting baby powder on the cars, see the handprints, you putting a Snickers on top of your car. Okay, I'll get back to it. The Kennesaw House is haunted by sick and wounded Confederate soldiers. This Marietta, Georgia house was the military hospital for Confederate soldiers during the 1860s. Considering the gruesome wounds and primitive healthcare practices and tools of the time, this house saw countless deaths and lots of gory suffering, which you can still hear and witness in the basement in the form of screaming apparitions. This place is a ghost hunter hotspot and is estimated that there are hundreds of spirits trapped in the Kennesaw house. The Partridge Inn is haunted by a grieving bride. Augusta, Georgia's historic Patridge, Partridge Inn is a charming hotel with a number of ghosts attached to it. One of the ghosts is a beautiful young woman named Emily you can see wandering the halls in her wedding dress. On his way to their wedding, her fiancé was mistaken for a treasonous soldier and shot on sight. When news of his death reached Emily, she wore her wedding dress for weeks before dying of a broken heart. The wealthy and powerful of the past century still haunt the Jekyll Island Hotel. Outside of having a name, having a creepy name, this hotel was once the hangout spot of America's most wealthy and influential. The Vanderbilts, Morgans, Pulitzers were all among its regular guests. It's rumored that the ghosts of Samuel Spencer, deceased railroad magnate, can still be seen at the Jiggle. He apparently enjoys his morning coffee and newspaper almost daily in a suite in the annex. Ghosts of former employees can also still be seen performing their duties as well. Alright. The statue of a little dead girl weeps and cries blood. 
The Bonaventure Cemetery is over 200 years old and houses numerous beautiful statues. One was built in honor of the little Gracie, who died of pneumonia at the age of six. Now people leave little gifts for Gracie at the statue's feet. Sometimes visitors even see glimpses of the beautiful little girl. And that's where it ends. But the title says she weeps and cries blood, so... <laughs> Seems like they would have spoke more to that. Let's see. While Atlanta's Masquerade nightclub looks incredibly creepy on its own, it's also home to several ghosts. There is a tall man who has been seen roaming the building at night. This place has everything from freak accidents to disembodied screams to unexplained fire. Several employees even died of tuberculosis. The nightclub is also rumored to be home to an actual vampire. Spirits protect the Rosmel Mill House and won't allow any re renovations. In the 1990s, a woman bought an old mill house in Roswell, Georgia and attempted to set up a business there. She tried to renovate and repair the building several times, only to find it drenched in water and all the changes undone. She called in a psychic medium who found five spirits in the house, long dead wives of mill workers whose husbands had left to fight in the Civil War. One spirit, Catherine, complained about fire in the walls. She had flooded the house trying to put out the fire or electricity the woman had installed in the home. Right. The ghost of a serial killer walks Colonial Park Cemetery. Colonial Park Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia is home to numerous urban legends and myths. One of the most popular is that the serial killer Rene Rondolier. This distinctive ghost is said to be seen stalking the cemetery, a shadowy figure, a staggering seven feet tall. According to legend, Rondolier was caught murdering two young girls in the cemetery and killed by an angry mob. His figure can still be seen walking among the graves. Alright. Those are good stories. We'll take a short break. Hello, my spooky friends, and thank you for listening to my podcast, Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz, hosted by Chappie. Um, if you would like to submit your own story, uh, feel free to post it on our Facebook group, Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shiz is in parentheses. Um, add yourself to the group and post your story there if you're loud and proud about what has happened to you. If you want to remain anonymous, just message me your story and I'll add it to the podcast. Thanks again for everybody that submitted stories today, and keep those stories coming. Stay spooky, my friends.